This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, Tuesday afternoon, May 9th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour. I'm Rob Hart. This is National Travel and Tourism Week, and we'll focus on sustainable getaways around Illinois in our next segment. But right now, the Chicago business community says it wants and needs to be part of the solution to fight crime in the city. We're joined by Greg Hines, columnist, Crane Chicago Business. Greg, thank you for joining us today. Day. And, and Greg, I, I know I shouldn't admit this as a journalist, and you just need to be cynical at all times, but in every crisis, I believe there is an opportunity. And yeah, there are a lot of problems that the city of Chicago is facing right now, but if you can find the solution, you can be a historical figure in the, uh, in, in, in the long story of this city. So if, if you do have the solution to crime, whether you're incoming Mayor Brandon Johnson or the business community, uh, you could be a, a figure that people talk about for many decades to come. From your lips to God's ears, I completely agree with you. Uh, the problem is, is the solution lies somewhere in the middle. It's a holistic uh, situation. You have to de- deal with all kinds of things at once. And uh, we don't live in an era where uh, politicians want to be holistic. We live in an era where the politicians always want to go to one side or the other. The background of this is that, is that several months ago, the Civic Committee of the Commercial Club uh, which is the, probably the business group of the most clout in town, formed a uh, panel that's going to look at what to do about crime. And it's headed by Jim Crown, who comes from a very distinguished, uh, long, old-time business uh, family here. And what they have seen, and what he and what he now admits, is that you know, crime problems that used to be out of the neighborhood somewhere, uh, all of a sudden they're affecting central the city where the business district is uh and uh, that has brought home the reality of uh we're, we're we got a problem to them in a way that uh, that uh, probably nothing else would so the question is now what we're going to do by it um uh, our new mayor uh he'll be sworn in monday mr johnson has clearly said that a big part of the solution is we need to invest more uh, in uh, in long-term solutions, the kind of things that will give kids, uh, young people hope and, and other avenues to proceed. But there's also a, a school of thought out there that says that, you know, that's a long-term solution. In the meantime, you have to good law, have good law enforcement so that people who decide to uh, get out of lane and hurt other people uh, are held accountable. Um, there is a solution. You're right there, but it probably involves a little, a little bit of both. Now, this, this is a kind of unprecedented on the part of the business community getting involved in an issue such as crime, which is they've kind of avoided over the years. Uh, that is indeed the case. Uh, that was the interesting thing that Mr. Crown said uh, yesterday during an appearance at the, before the city club. Uh, he said, hey, five, six years ago, this wasn't in our radar. What's changed? Is it, is it people want to be involved? And what I think it is, it's, it, I think it's. Uh, I'll, I'll give them some credit for being civic-minded, but uh, there's some self-interest here too. Uh, we've all written and, and reported on uh, the problems we've had in downtown Chicago. 
uh, the gatherings of kids at night, uh, how, the effect that's had on uh, on the city. We've lost some very big corporations, like Citadel, that have left town saying, hey, we can't deal with the crime problems here anymore. That's brought the reality home to the business community that something needs to change. And we'll now see what they do. And it seems like very quickly that uh, everyone may be on the same block or in the same space when it comes to determining the solution to this problem. It's just a matter of getting the two sides and the two different schools of thought uh, close enough to shake hands. I, I I suspect, uh, with all due respect, it's a little more complicated than that. Um, <laughs> uh, you have to, you have people who, who psychologically want to go in the one direction, tough law and order, lock them up, and people want to go on the other side. Let's uh, spend a lot of money and deal with uh, help our our poor, underprivileged kids. Um, I think the reality is it takes both solutions and some other stuff. Uh, Anybody that I respect who has looked at this problem said this is a years-long effort. It's very complicated. It involves all kinds of things you get in the family structure, uh, lack of neighborhood investment, uh, racial prejudice, uh, uh, questions about law enforcement. We have to deal with all those if you're ultimately going to deal with the problem. Greg Hines, columnist, Crane Chicago Business. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next on this Travel Tuesday, a look at sustainable trips within Illinois. Money Talks as the WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Travel Tuesday on the Noon Business Hour, and it's also National Travel and Tourism Week, and let's celebrate with a look at sustainable trips you can take right here in Illinois. We welcome in Marla Shahowski, spokesperson for the Illinois Office of Tourism based in Chicago. Marla, thank you for joining us today. What is the definition of a sustainable trip before we talk about some sustainable trips you can take in the state? Well, exactly. So we know that the majority of people are either interested or actively seeking travel options that are in line with sustainability. So everything from finding places that are committed to sustainable practices, um, places that are committed to conservation and giving people a way to give back when they travel, um, whether that's visiting a state park and helping clean up the park or making sure that, you know, the hotel you're staying is committed to, you know, sustainable practices. People now more than ever, especially Gen Z and millennial travelers, are very, very passionate about this. Now, let's uh, start off with uh, places you can go uh, in your EV on a single charge. And once again, you can get your uh, you can get your uh, carbon neutral kicks on Route 66, a road trip <laughs> itinerary uh, down right? the mother road, uh, starting off in uh, in uh, Elwood, Blue- Jake Blues's uh, old home of the old Joliet prison in Joliet. That's right. The new zero emissions on Route 66 road trip itinerary is, as you said, EV friendly and as many as 13 different charging stations from Chicago all the way through Southern Illinois. So you mentioned Joliet. You can take a guided tour of the old Joliet prison. Obviously, a very popular location for tours and also, you know, our friends, the Blues Brothers movie. Um, and then there's a there's a charging station very close by the Paul Bunyan um, Muffler Man statue in Atlanta, Illinois. You can go there, take some pictures, and then charge up very nearby in Atlanta, also in Springfield, Motorhead Bar and Grill. 
um, the Pink Elephant Antique Mall in Livingston, Illinois, which is a must-see if you've never been. A giant pink elephant out front, so you can't miss it. And the world's largest ketchup bottle in Collinsville. Also, uh, a really fun photo op. And on the National Register of Historic Places, all of those uh, destinations have charging stations very nearby. And and Marla, I must uh, not be nearly as well-traveled as you are because I did not know the state of Illinois boasted the world's largest ketchup bottle. That is correct. You can find it in Collinsville, Illinois, right on Route 66. So you got to plan a trip down there. So point your Tesla down towards Collinsville way. Uh, then there are also some sustainable hotels um, that that aren't necessarily uh, traditional places to stay. Uh, for example, uh, you can go to the Wildlife Prairie Park in Peoria and stay in an old train caboose. Yes, this upcycled lodging has become a growing travel trend. We're taking, you know, existing structures, repurposing them. The train cabooses there are really fun for a family getaway. They have um, several different Santa Fe cabooses that have been rehabbed into a place where you could stay. And they're fitted with bunk beds and they have, you know, TV, bathroom, all the amenities that you're looking for. But also just a really fun experience for kids. The Jail Hill Inn in Galena, this is the former Joe Davies County Jail um, that was a originally built in 1878 and it's now home to a beautiful bed and breakfast um, right near historic Galena and it also has an EV charging station on site which they just recently added which is very cool and then the Macanda Inn and Cabins that's in Macanda in Shawnee Forest Country down in southern Illinois they are known as an eco lodge and they have used building materials like reclaimed wood and straw bales and recycled plastic for their roof. And they have a very strong focus on energy conservation. So if you're headed to Southern Illinois, check out Macanda Inn. So in Galena, you can literally stay in the Gray Bar Hotel without uh, running afoul of the law. There you go. Yes, the Jail Hill Inn is the place to be. Marla Schahowski, spokesperson for the Illinois Office of Tourism. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next, the replacement for Chicago's famed Tavern on Rush makes its debut next week. The only program dedicated to currency events. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Chicago's iconic Tavern on Rush is now history, and something new is coming next week. Let's find out what's on the way from Ali Marotti, restaurants and retail reporter, Crane Chicago Business. Ali, thank you for joining us today. Tavern on Rush is dead. Long live the Bellevue, opening next week. Uh, what's different about this place compared to its long-running predecessor? Yeah, so the biggest thing is that it's not a steakhouse. The menu is classic American fare. So you've got, you know, a seafood tower, pizza, soup, salad, crab cakes, all that kind of stuff. Uh, there are a couple steak options on there, but they went in a decidedly different direction with the menu. The inside has also been renovated, gutted, but it still has that huge patio outside. And uh, this is a bet in which uh, millions of dollars are on the line because uh, I was reading Restaurant Business Magazine over the weekend, as one does, and uh, in their top 100 list of the independent restaurants in the nation, Tavern on Rush clocked in at number 61 with an estimated revenue of a little over $15 million. So the new place has a lot to live up to financially. Yeah, it does. And that area there, um, right there around Mariano Park and the Gold Coast, there's a couple other big hitters, right? Maple and Ash just typically makes that list. Um, Gibson's is right there as well. So this is one that I think is going to get a lot of 
um, you know, a lot of a lot of business. The the um, tonight there's a grand opening party. I'm told there's hundreds of people going. You know, the patio itself seats 100, so it's going to be a bigish space as far as that goes. But um, you know, we'll see because those those uh, restaurants that make that list typically are steakhouses because they do charge a lot more for the steaks. Um, but being in the Gold Coast, you know, I'm I'm not sure what the prices are. There's no price on the menu. But you're right. It is a big bet. And uh, it, it, it's a competitive area, as you said. And uh, if you want to be the best, you got to beat the best, especially in that part of Chicago. And uh, the executive chef appears to have the chops, no pun intended, to uh, get it done. Yes, he worked at Gibson's Restaurant Group before and also the Jose Andres Group. And what does this mean, though, for the uh, future of this particular area of Chicago, the Gold Coast? Uh, one might call it the Viagra Triangle, the nickname it got a couple of decades ago. Uh, especially coming out of the pandemic, there was a lot of uncertainty about, you know, would people stick around? Is this a restaurant that's poised to succeed as the central business district that central Chicago pivots from offices and shops to a neighborhood? Yeah, that's a really great uh, question there. And I think it remains to be seen, but it is sort of ushering in a new era for, you know, this part of the Gold Coast that earned that Viagra Triangle nickname in the 90s. And, you know, it's sort of, I'm told, a different crowd that comes there. You already started to see sort of with Maple and Ash a movement away from, you know, the Italian, the old school Italian steakhouse vibe that was there for decades. Um, Besides the Bellevue and replacing Tavern on Rush, just next door where Carmine's was located, that building's being demolished. It's going to be rebuilt. Carmine's will go back in there, but it's going to have a completely new look and feel as well. So I think it is, you know, a new era for that part of the town. Ali Marotti, restaurants and retail reporter, Crane Chicago Business. Thank you for joining us today to talk about the Bellevue taking the place of Tavern on Rush on the Gold Coast. Still ahead on this Travel Tuesday, the best spots for vacations in Southern Europe and the Mediterranean. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. A high level meeting in Washington focuses on the U.S. debt ceiling. A respected doctor's advisory group issues new guidelines for mammograms. In Travel Tuesday, we'll put the spotlight on destinations in Southern Europe and the Mediterranean, and experts identify what they believe to be the number one enemy of productivity in the workplace. WBBM Business, the markets are lower. The Dow is down 31 points. The Nasdaq is down 61. The S&P 500 is down 14. We have 63 degrees right now under mostly sunny skies. It's 1231. Topping our news at the half hour, President Biden is meeting with top Republican and Democratic lawmakers in the House and Senate to discuss the impending debt ceiling deadline. The details from CBS News White House correspondent Stephen Portnoy. It's Congress's constitutional duty to act. As the clock ticks toward a possible default as early as June 1st, Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre says the president will insist that House Speaker Kevin McCarthy advance a bill that raises or suspends the debt ceiling without strings attached. Why are you manufacturing a crisis that should not 
exist? That is the question for him to answer. More than 40 Republican senators have sent a letter to Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer opposing any package to increase the debt ceiling that doesn't include spending cuts. New recommendations are out for mammograms. The U.S. Preventative Services Task Force says women at average risk for breast cancer should start getting regular screenings at the age of 40 instead of waiting until they're 50. The changes are being spurred by the stubbornly high death rates among black women and an increase in breast cancer diagnoses among younger women. It's 12.32 as the noon business hour continues. The stocks are uh, narrowly lower today as investors wait on some big shoes to drop, inflation data, and progress on the debt ceiling negotiations. We welcome in Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services and publisher of UpsideStocks.com based in Hammond. Chuck, thank you for joining us today. The debt ceiling drama in Washington is a political story and it is also an economic story. And uh, despite the kind of Super Bowl-like framework of two sides hashing it out, facing off on the field of battle uh, that the political stories seem to frame this as. The markets are a little less uh, apocalyptic, you like to say? Yes, uh, and I and I think because they uh, have been through a number of these, and pretty much the story writes the same, there's this uh, you know apocalyptic uh, vision of a defaulting United States, and uh, like most negotiations, it goes down to the wire and then something gets resolved and uh, then the market, uh, you know, does its thing and moves on to the next thing. So, uh, you know, again, you know, my point being that I would not be basing or building an investment program, especially a long-term investment program, around what happens on this. Something's going to get resolved. The U.S. is not going to have a sustained default on their their obligations. And, uh, you know, and I think the market's action is, is, is going to reflect that. And thinking back to uh, the day the U.S. credit rating was downgraded back in 2011 uh, due to another debt ceiling standoff, there was a sell-off for a couple of days, but eventually uh, those losses were recouped. Right. It, it becomes really just a trader's in a very short-term trading opportunity, so to speak, because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the markets are really driven by corporate earnings, inflation, and interest rates. Uh, this is kind of a sideshow that can have an impact on, you know, an hour-to-hour trading activity in the market, but it is not among those three major engines to sustain markets over time. Let's talk about uh, inflation and interest rates. Uh, We seem to have a little bit of guidance on where the Fed is going with interest rates. Chances are they're going to pause and just hold rates higher for a little while. But that also depends on the consumer price index and the producer price index and some of the inflation gauges that the Fed follows. The CPI comes out later this week. And the consensus is kind of coalescing around a 5% year-over-year increase. It is, and and I think that you know that's what uh, people hope it is, and that will give the Fred, the Fed some breathing room in terms of what they do with interest rates. But I think at the end of the day, though, uh, you know, at five percent, that's still a level that's well above the Fed's target rate, and still a level that, while it may give the Fed some pause, uh, I'm not sure that's going to mean the end of the Fed and their willingness to raise uh, to raise rates. Uh, you know, it is one report. But if we get, you know, we get into June and we get into July, we get into August, and we're still running at, you know, at 5% levels and we're not seeing a continued 
uh, regression in the inflation rate, I, I think the Fed is is going to continue to, to raise rates. So this report matters, but I think, you know, the next several reports are really what the Fed's keying on. And if you don't see that rate uh, come down much below 5% and it stays sticky there, I think the Fed still has work to do. I mean, we're, In their minds, they still have work to do. We've come a long way from the uh, 9% year-over-year in- increase from a year ago, but it seems like that last mile is going to be the most stubborn. Yeah, it is. It is. And and part of that is because you've got, you know, you've got a lot of wage inflation entrenched in, in that number. And, and that's going to come down much more slowly uh, than some of the, the spikes we saw in food prices and, and, and other areas, rents, et cetera. So, yeah, it, it's going to be a struggle to kind of get that last um, that last level down. And that's really the what Wall Street is concerned about is how how, you know, willing is the Fed to try to get to that 2% or even 3% target rate going to be? How aggressive is it going to be in terms of raising rates to get to that point? And if they do raise rates, what's that going to do to the overall economy? Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services in Hammond, Indiana. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next in Travel Tuesday, journeying to places overseas, including Spain, Portugal, and the Mediterranean. Money Matters. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's Travel Tuesday. As travel returns to pre-pandemic levels, more people are comfortable heading overseas. Let's spotlight some of the top spots with the help of Angie Rice, co-founder of Boutique Travel Advisors, based in Scottsdale. Dale, thank you for joining us today. Let's talk about Southern Europe and the Mediterranean. What are some of the cool places to go if you want to hit up that part of the world? Where do I start? Obviously, Italy's really, really popular, but one of my favorite countries to visit um, to explore the Med is definitely Spain. There's just so much cultural experiences offered by Spain and a lot of coastline, which we know travelers prefer. Now, when it comes to uh, plotting an itinerary for a particular region of the world, in this case, uh, cities, countries, and towns along the uh, Mediterranean Sea in Southern Europe, is it better to focus on just one particular country, or should you just take advantage of Europe's geography to uh, hit several countries along the way? Season travelers probably see the benefit of exploring one country at a time because it allows you to have more depth and also to see the countryside as well as the major cities. However, if it's your first time to Europe, I think you're going to be more enticed to explore different countries. So maybe a cruise might be a great way to allow you to more easily visit, you know, two, three, sometimes even four countries. And it also gives you the opportunity to look at cruises where On the front end, uh, for example, there's a lot of cruises that start in Barcelona and end in Rome. So that would give you the opportunity to do a land itinerary on the front end and back end to further explore those two countries along with the port stops while cruising. I know uh, Disney is one of the cruise lines that uh, does offer uh, several Mediterranean itineraries out of of Barcelona. What are uh, some of the cruise lines uh, that do the same? Obviously, that's such a popular area. Regent Cruises has fantastic itineraries, and I love how Regent really brings in the cultural aspects of a destination. They do a lot of interactive and engaging experiences on the ship so that it really prepares you and gets you more enriched when you reach the port. Um, Silver Sea is a really fun, dynamic, active cruise line that I also um, 
uh, find that they really cover that area of the world quite well. And then for families, like you said, Disney um, really is a popular cruise line. And we also like the, the Haven, which is really a hotel within the NCL brand. And that really offers you the opportunity to feel like you're on a smaller cruise, but still have the amenities of a larger ship. And then everybody's uh, on the euro in in Southern Europe, but are there certain countries where your dollar, you you literally have more bang for your buck? First of all, the dollar is really strong right now. So I always tell people like when you're able to spend less in destination, big picture, that's a savings on your trip. We also, I've had a lot of clients, especially retirees that are thankful that they've taken trips over the last couple of years because they haven't fared as well in the stock market. Um, countries like Portugal and Spain certainly are less expensive in comparison to places like Italy. I also think a great way to um, save and create more value for yourself when you're traveling is to visit the more expensive destinations like the Amalfi Coast. Um, but maybe you do it more as a day trip and you stay outside of the city or you opt to uh, visit destinations that are a little bit remote Um, A perfect example would be flying into Barcelona, maybe spending one or two days in uh, Barcelona, but instead going up north to Costa Brava, beautiful coastal destination with a lot of history. And that's a destination where you can find more affordable hotels and you can also find villa rentals for affordable um, expenditures if you're traveling with a larger family or with a group of travelers. Angie Rice, co-founder of Boutique Travel Advisors based in Scottsdale. Thank you for joining us today. Join us at this time tomorrow for Personal Finance Wednesday. And still to come, I'm going to send you a Google invite to talk about the number one killer of workplace productivity. Your best stock option. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. New research from Microsoft identifies the top distraction that kills workplace productivity, and it's not the water cooler or coffee machine. We're talking about meetings overload. We're joined by Michelle Reisdorf, Chicago jobs expert with Robert Half based in Chicago. Michelle, thank you for joining us today. And for a great many office workers, we're trying to get our sea legs back, basically, after uh, a year or years at home following the pandemic. A lot of people are going back to the office now, meeting in person for the first time. But some activities that uh, took root during the pandemic are still in place, even as people are back in the office together, and that is uh, endless meetings. <laughs> Very true. And, um, you know, what we see are a lot of companies just, you know, once you get into a rhythm of doing things a certain way, it's hard for you to stop, pivot, and change because maybe in office has changed or hybrid has changed or, you know, remote has changed. And you just get used to a certain way of doing things and comfortable with a certain style of decision making. But Overdoing it on meetings can be a productivity killer because you're just going from meeting to meeting instead of actually doing your job. Yeah, you know, early on in the pandemic, we heard about Zoom fatigue, and it's definitely real. Um, But the other thing that we see is that, you know, people are definitely more productive when they work in kind of the same mental mode for a block of time. So, you know, meeting after meeting after meeting forces you to change gears frequently and, you know, maybe not get a whole lot done. You know, there's a joke. I mean, you've probably seen it and, and we all have the this could have been an email instead of a meeting. Uh, is yeah. that is that a, a a mental exercise that a lot of managers have to uh, go through when pondering whether to have a meeting? 
Yes, I think, you know, you have to look at um, what is the purpose of my meeting? You know, what we find is if it's, you know, brainstorming, updates on critical info or, you know, decision making, then that's a probably a meeting. But if it's just simply communication or touching base with someone, lots of times those could be due, um, done through emails and obviously chat. Now, a lot of companies uh, are starting to realize that uh, meeting fatigue is uh, weighing down on their workers. And uh, one example is Shopify, which said it was canceling all recurring meetings with three or more people and banning all meetings on Wednesdays uh, <laughs> starting earlier this year. And as a result, uh, the, the amount of time that employees spent in meetings dropped by a third. Yeah, um, it's absolutely a great approach. Um, I know even at our organization, we try to keep, you know, Fridays clean so that we're not inundated with meetings. Half the time people, you know, especially during the summer, take Fridays off. So then you have half of a meeting versus, you know, a really effective meeting. And then twice a year, I look at all of our reoccurring meetings. So in January and again in July, I look, I review every recurring meeting and say, is this still effective? Do we really still need it to be a, a reoccurring meeting, or is it something we can clean off and start with something fresh and new? Michelle Reisdorf, Chicago jobs expert with Robert Half, based in Chicago. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. If you missed any part of today's noon business hour, we'll have the replay podcast available shortly at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.